Good morning, City Light Church. How are you guys? All right, you awake? Fathers, you awake? All your kids give you sappy little love notes, stuff like that this morning? Yeah, kind of, maybe. Okay, maybe not. My kids like sappy little love notes, and I kind of like them too. So, hey, my name's Doug, one of the pastors for our church, and I'm, I'm just so glad to be with you guys this morning. Love what God is doing in our midst and in our city, both when we get together on Sundays and then when we scatter throughout the week in city groups. Love being a part of this. Now, I want to start this morning uh, with a question again, and it's going to sound like a really churchy question, okay? You're going to be like, oh, that is so what they say in church, but hey, we're kind of in a church gathering anyway, okay? So here's the question I want you to think about. When was the first time you heard about Jesus Christ? The, the very first time, not just kind of random snippets of information about him, but the first time you really heard J- the story of Jesus, the truth of Jesus Christ. I, I was a church kid growing up. I'm pretty sure I was in the church building at least three times every week. Some of you guys will know when. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, right? And I'm pretty sure the first time I heard about Jesus is when my parents shared the gospel with me, probably in utero, okay? They were like, just pray after me, little Dougie, okay? Dear Jesus, he kicked, he kicked, right? You know, please forgive my sins. He kicked again, right? That's kind of the family I grew up in, all right? But my first memory that I remember of hearing about Jesus is when I was six years old in our living room back at home. And mom and dad were talking to my older brother about Jesus and heaven and hell and God and all that stuff. And I remembered they were telling my brother about the horrors of hell. It's hot. I mean, it's, it's an eternal fire, an eternal lake of fire. It is endless torment and torture. And so much like my brother, I was like, uh, I do not want to go there. What do I need to do so that I don't go there? And they were like, well, trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I said, I have no idea what, they mean, what that means. And so they explained to me that Jesus, he died for my sins so that I didn't have to pay for them in hell. And I was like, hallelujah. Like, I want that. And so I prayed with mom and dad right then and there. The next Sunday, I walked the center aisle, shook the pastor's hand, and got baptized. That was my first memory when I first heard about Jesus. Jesus is Savior. And so I want to ask you, what about you? When did you first hear about Jesus? Maybe for some of you, it was in a church building or a Sunday school class, right? I love that any given child on a Sunday morning, if they're in City Light Kids, they're going to hear about Jesus every single Sunday, right? I was six years old. I would love for our little two-year-olds and three-year-olds to be wandering around just singing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name, even before they can spell that name, all right? So for some of you guys, it may have been young. Others, it may have been a little later in life. Middle school, high school, college, adult years, For you, it may have been a co-worker or an extended family member or a friend. You may have heard about Jesus a little bit later. Some of you, you heard about Jesus Christ from a Billy Graham crusade. And others of you don't know who Billy Graham is or what his crusade was, right? What about you? Some of you, you're not for sure this morning who Jesus is. You haven't really heard, who is he? What did he do? You know that God exists. 
there's a higher power, there's a greater purpose for living. You have some sense of morality, there's, there's the big man upstairs, something like that, but you haven't heard the truth about Jesus. Maybe you've heard random ideas or vague notions of Jesus from like a boring Sunday school teacher and you tried to forget it all or maybe an episode of South Park or The Simpsons, right? You've heard little bits about Jesus, but I wonder what might change if you heard the truth about Jesus Christ? How might you feel about him? What would you think about him when you truly heard about Jesus? This morning, we are back in the book of Acts, chapter 10, and we're looking at a time when a man named Cornelius and his family first ever heard about Jesus. Cornelius, he believed in God. He was a good man. He was generous. He even prayed, but he had yet to hear about Jesus Christ. And so last week, if you remember, we also looked at this Cornelius guy. And last week we said, you know, Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a Roman army soldier. And God went to his boy Peter, who was Jewish. And so these Jewish people, they kind of consider these Gentiles despicable, disgusting, all that sort of stuff. So God goes to Peter, a Jewish man, and he gives him this startling vision so that Peter will actually go to Cornelius and share Jesus with him. It was this massive undertaking because of the racial pride the racial prejudice, the racial sin in Peter's heart. But if you remember, uh, Peter got God's perspective, and then Peter humbled himself relationally with um, Cornelius, and then Peter publicly confessed his sin to Cornelius and his family and his friends. That's as far as we got last week. But there's more to the story. In fact, I actually skipped what might be the most important part of the story last week. So I apologize for, for that, but I'm getting to it this week if that counts for anything. What happened when Peter got to Cornelius? Most important thing, Peter preached Jesus to Cornelius. That's kind of important if you're a Christian. Peter preached Jesus, and for the first time ever, Cornelius and his family heard about Jesus and got to respond to Jesus Christ. For years, they had this kind of vague understanding or belief in God. For years, they had felt guilt for doing bad things. Finally, they get to hear about Jesus Christ. Can you imagine just the the discovery that they would have felt at that? The relief, right? They're like, oh my goodness, finally, Jesus, this helps so much. And so what we're going to do this morning is just step into Peter's sermon, his message to Cornelius about Jesus and just track through it. So I want to start, would you guys pray with me? And let's just ask God to do this morning what he did back then. Father in heaven, would you come and speak to us? I'm not the teacher this morning. You are our teacher. Would you come and teach Jesus Christ to all of us, Father? I pray there might be some this morning, they need to hear about Jesus and connect some dots for the first time ever. May they respond with trust and love for Jesus. Others of us, we need to return to our first love this morning. Go back to the good old truths about Jesus. Would you do it among us through your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to track through Peter's sermon to Cornelius. And so Peter literally, he just gives all these truth statements about Jesus. And there's like 12 or 13 of them. But I just tried to boil it down to four. Figured you guys would prefer prefer a four-point sermon instead of a 12-point sermon. Okay? So let's get to number one. Number one thing that Peter says, Jesus brings peace and is Lord. Jesus brings peace and he is Lord. Look at Acts 10, 
verse 36. Peter says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, this is what God originally sent to Israel, now it's going to the Gentiles, all that good stuff. As for that word, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And then in parentheses you'll see, he's Lord of all. So Peter's like going, okay, peace through Jesus and, oh, Jesus is Lord of all. And so Peter starts his story of Jesus, this revelation of Jesus with peace. And the reason he's doing that is because, you know, Cornelius is this Gentile man, and his family is Gentile. Peter is Jewish. These are two very different races, two very different cultures, two very different backgrounds. For decades, Cornelius and the Roman army had oppressed and been violent towards the Jewish people, and so the Jewish people hated them, ignored them, avoided them, neglected them. And so these two different cultures, very at odds with one another, and now all of a sudden, Peter and Cornelius are like in the same room going, we are at peace with one another. This is incredible that we are at peace. Previously, there was hatred. Now there is peace. Previously, there was war between us. Now there is peace. And so Peter's going, oh my goodness, Jesus brings peace to us. Different races, different backgrounds, different people united in peace through Jesus Christ. And I don't have to convince you this week. I don't need to stir anything up to remind us that between races, between cultures in our nation, we desperately need the peace of Jesus Christ. Just earlier this week, the tragedy in Charleston just put it all right back in front of our faces. Oh my goodness, the, the heinous, the, the evil of what racial bias and prejudice and sin does to people. We desperately need peace among people through Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you watch those videos, but these videos of the, the families of the victims responding to this young man and able to say to him, we forgive you. How in the world did they go from grieving, shock, loss, to still in the midst of that being able to forgive just a few days later? It only comes through peace from Jesus Christ. They have vertical peace with God because of Jesus. Therefore, they're able to extend horizontal peace from Jesus, even to someone who did violence against their family members. Jesus brings peace. Do you need peace in your relationships? Do you need peace in your marriage? Right? It may not be national tragedy, but some of you are like, oh my goodness, he is just like Cornelius. Oh, He's always got me under his thumb, trying to be the boss, all that stuff, like an army man, right? And others of you are like, oh my goodness, she is so like Peter, just always religious. She's always right, you know, like always one up in me, that sort of stuff, right? It's not national tragedy, but it's conflict. Jesus brings peace to your marriage. Maybe you have conflict with a coworker or a boss or an employee, maybe with a roommate or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Jesus brings peace to your relationships, to people who were previously at odds, antagonistic against one another, and Jesus is able to unite them in peace. The question is, what is peace? What is it? The world thinks of peace as like ease or comfort. It's that time just to sit back, relax, and just know for certain that everything is hunky-dory at least for like 60 seconds or something like that, right? That's what the world thinks of as peace. It's unending riches or it's perfect health. 
But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus gives. While Jesus was on earth, he said to his followers, he said, my peace I give to you. Not peace as the world gives, but when I leave, I give you my peace. Jesus' peace is a peace that is, it speaks so much more of like a wholeness. If you can think of it like that, it's a, it's a balance, it's a healthiness to both your soul towards him and your body. Jesus' peace is so much better than the world's peace. His peace will surpass your understanding and then it will sustain you when you can't stand. His peace is so much better. Jesus brings this interrelational peace with one another by giving us an inner peace towards God, a life-refreshing peace. And so all of us, I would guess, you're going, oh, yeah, sign me up for some of that. Yes, got to get me that. A little peace, Jesus, please and thank you, right? But uh, Peter says that Jesus, he brings peace and is Lord. Right? Jesus doesn't just dish us out a little bit of peace and then leave us alone. Instead, Jesus' peace comes to us, changes us through him being Lord. We would like to have a little peace and a little Lord. Peter's saying, Jesus will give us eternal peace, but only if he is eternal Lord, Lord of all of our life. In some ways, um, it's kind of silly. Like that lordship, this, this boss ship, the command of Jesus doesn't come easily to us. It's not fun. It's not um, quick and easy. In some ways, we're kind of like toddlers who are getting potty trained, okay? I know it's kind of crude mental picture, but I think it's going to help, right? We're like those toddlers who are going, Daddy, I can't do this. It's too difficult. Why are you making me change? Mommy, I don't think this is ever going to work. Why are you making me go potty in the toilet now, right? We're like those two-year-olds. They think we are so mean to them whenever we ask them to go potty in the actual toilet, right? They don't realize that we're saving them from having to buy adult diapers at Costco for the rest of their lives. Like, Trust me, this is going to work out for you, buddy. Like, you'll thank me later, right? And as silly as that sounds, right? Whenever Jesus becomes Lord, it's not quick, fast, and easy. We can kind of be like those toddlers who get upset. But he is a peaceful Lord, right? We're going, what? you mean I have to obey Jesus? Yes, and he will fill you with peace. You mean I have to learn his ways and change my ways? Yes, and he will bring peace to your relationships. The lordship of Jesus is not a burdensome, oppressive regime. Instead, he is the most benevolent, peaceful, delightful dictator you will ever meet. Jesus brings peace, and he is Lord. That's what Peter says first, out of the gate. Then he goes on, and he wants to give another glimpse of this true Jesus to Cornelius. And so the number two thing, the second thing that Peter says about Jesus is this. Jesus was anointed by God. Jesus was anointed by God. Look at um, verse 38, Acts 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, you've got to remember that Cornelius, he was a Gentile, but even though he was a Gentile, he still believed in God. He just hadn't heard about Jesus. So belief in God, yes. Knowledge of Jesus, not yet. So Peter, he realizes this, and he says, okay, Cornelius, you believe in God, right? 
Okay, you believe that he exists, that he has a law, that he wants us to do good things, things like that. You believe in God. Let me tell you something else about this God. Let me tell you something God did. God anointed Jesus. So Peter, he's trying to connect the dots here, okay? A a general, vague belief in God, and he's trying to connect that to the very person of Jesus Christ. And some of you this morning, you need those dots to connect even now. You believe in God. You believe there's a higher power. And so my question to you, quite simply, is what does God do with Jesus Christ? And Peter's answer, the Bible's answer, is really clear. God anoints Jesus. And you're thinking, that sounds weird. Like, some sort of ointment does he anoint Jesus? Like, this is just strange. What do you, what's this anointed word, right? Christianity is so weird. Well, Christianity is kind of weird, but let me explain this part of it, okay? When it says that God anoints Jesus, it means that God is really, 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 really happy with Jesus. God approves of Jesus so much so that God gives himself, his Holy Spirit, to Jesus. So God is on and in Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. In the Old Testament, God would specially set apart a a priest for his service by having him anointed. Literally, a priest would get down and then they would pour olive oil all over him. So it would start in his hair and Hopefully, Chris, he didn't have like the receding hairline. Actually, you know, that would have been bad and messy. But so it starts in the hair. It goes down all over his face, fills up his awesome hipster beard because they didn't shave back then, right? And then it literally goes all over his body, just soaks him. It sets him apart. All of this man, all of this priest is set apart for this service. Then Jesus shows up on the scene, but he isn't just another priest. He is the greatest priest. He is the highest priest. And so God anoints him, not just with olive oil, God anoints him with himself. God anoints him with his Holy Spirit. In Colossians, another book of the Bible, it says that in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So God's going through the, the, the storehouse, the warehouse. He's getting all of himself saying, okay, all the God inventory, all the God that there is, let's clear it out and put it all into Jesus Christ. And he does all that and God is so happy about that. He's pleased for all of his fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ. He gets excited. He celebrates Jesus Christ. He approves of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes so far as to say that God the Father, often referred to just as God in the Bible, and God the Son, often referred to as Jesus, God the Father and God the Son are one. God the Father approves of and celebrates and gets excited about Jesus precisely because Jesus is God, okay? Now, that's kind of theology speak, Trinitarian, all that sort of mumbo-jumbo. Let me boil it down to this. If you were to walk up to God and say, okay, God, I kind of believe in you. I I know that you're you're real and you exist, but here's my question. What do I do with Jesus? I believe God's response would be this. If you want to know me, look at him. Trust in him. Follow him. Listen to 
Jesus. He's saying, I anointed Jesus with myself. All of me is in him. I put my one and only stamp of approval. I didn't give it to any other prophets in the Old Testament, no other apostles in the New Testament. I didn't give it to anybody in church history since the Bible times. My one and only stamp of approval is on Jesus Christ. If you want to know me, trust in him. That's what God says about Jesus Christ which is amazing. It's wonderful. And dad's in the room since it's Father's Day. Isn't there something special in that relationship between father and son? I have one son, three daughters, but only one son. And I really can't help but just love him. I I delight in him, who he is, what he does. And at the end of the day, I delight in him just because he's mine. Dads, how special it is when you delight in your sons because they're your sons. And Peter's saying that's what God the Father does. God's not trying to avoid Jesus or distance himself from Jesus. Instead, God the Father's going, hey, if you want to know me, look at my son. He's mine. I like him. Love him. Trust him. Know him. And then you will know me, the one true God. God delights in Jesus, which is so wonderful because that also means that this morning, if you will come to Jesus Christ, you also get a glad, loving father in the deal. Not a mean or a distant father, a glad father. For some of you, this day is difficult because you don't know your dad. Or if you do know him, he's mean or he's distant from you. Hear this good news. When you come to Jesus Christ, you get a glad, happy, dancing in his chair, throwing a big party, father who delights in his children. He loves us like he loves Jesus Christ. Some of you this morning need to just realize it is worth following Jesus because you get the love of a father in your life. And I encourage you, follow him. Trust Jesus and know the Father. That's point number two, okay? So point number one is Jesus is peaceful. Um, Jesus brings peace and he's Lord. Point number two, he's anointed by God. Then Peter keeps going. Number three, the next thing Peter says is that Jesus is good and will judge. Jesus is good and he will judge. So look at two verses with me and we're going to connect them together. Acts 10 verse 38, it says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now skip down to the latter part, the end of verse 42. It says, he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus is good and he will judge. This truth about the goodness of Jesus must have been kind of um, surprising or maybe funny to Peter and Cornelius at this time, because really, Peter and Cornelius had been anything but good to one another, right? Cornelius and his army had oppressed Peter and the Jewish people. Peter and the Jewish people had hated Cornelius and his army. I mean, they were not good to one another. But now all of a sudden Cornelius is going, oh, okay, even though Peter wasn't good to me, Jesus is good. And Peter's going, oh my goodness, I wasn't good to Cornelius, but Jesus is good. He's kind, he's loving, he's patient, he's generous. Jesus Christ is the most generous person, the most kind person to ever walk planet earth. Jesus would see someone who was sick and he would heal them. Jesus would see someone who was vexed by demons and he would set them free. 
Jesus would see an outcast and welcome him in. Jesus would see a widow and he would make her glad. Jesus was good. Jesus shocked people by how he treated women because he was so good to them. Jesus amazed people by his ability to teach because he was so good at it. Jesus drove the religious leaders of that time crazy because he was so good. Jesus is good, yet also he will judge. He will judge. And some of us, we're okay with good Jesus. That's totally cool, but we're not so okay with judge Jesus, right? We'll take the good Jesus who walks around and heals people and does nice things for the poor, but we'd rather ignore or discard Jesus who is appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. We, we don't want that part of Jesus, and I think the reason we're okay with good Jesus but not so okay with judge Jesus is because we, we already intuitively know that Jesus is just gooder than us, right? So track with me. See if you can hang with this. Jesus is so good. He's so loving. He's so patient. He's so kind. He's so generous. Jesus is so loving to his enemies, so lifting to the broken, so freeing to the oppressed that when you examine his life, when you really look at him closely, you come to the conclusion he's faultless. Like this man was perfect, which is way better than any of us right? So when the most good person in the world becomes the judge of all the world, then that most good person is going to judge you and me as not good enough. He's going to judge us as bad. We are unlike Jesus, so good Jesus is going to judge all of us as not good. Unlike Jesus, we are selfish. Unlike Jesus, we keep things for ourselves, Unlike Jesus, I am lazy and fussy and impatient. Unlike Jesus, I mistreat people. And even on my goodest of days, my my best of days, I am still unlike Jesus, unholy, unkind, unnice, unloving, un-Jesus. So it kind of bothers me when I know that good Jesus is going to be judging me. It's a little bit frightening, right? What is good Jesus going to say about me? What's the judge going to say? I already know. What is judge Jesus going to say about you? We already know. His goodness has already judged all of us as not good enough. His goodness has already judged all of us as bad. And so we don't like that, but it does lead us into point number four. Jesus is good and Jesus will judge, which reminds us, okay, we're in the bad seat. We're in the wrong place. Take us to Acts 10, verse 39 through 41. I don't have like a pithy way to say point four, so I just put Bible verses in your notes, okay? Acts 10, 39. It's so crucial for us. Peter keeps going. He says, they put him to death. Who is they? In the most immediate context, they was the Jewish people of that time, okay? But when you zoom out and you read the rest of the New Testament and you see throughout history, what you find out is really they is all of us. It was the Jewish people at the time, but it was also the Gentiles. They is Nebraskans and Iowans. They really, at the end of the day, were all sinners. We all did this. They put him to death. We put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And immediately we're like, oh, thanks, Peter, great. You know, Peter's joining up with Judge Jesus to highlight just how bad we really are. 
okay? We're not just mean or selfish or impatient. We also bear responsibility for Jesus dying on the tree. That's not good. And maybe we don't feel that as keenly this morning. Maybe we don't feel it like we did that first time. This morning, maybe it just feels like old hat or just another sermon. But do you remember the first time? The first time you heard that you're a sinner, Can you imagine what Cornelius was thinking in this moment? Who killed Jesus? Why did they kill such a good man? I mean, like, I wish that guy was still alive, right? Who would ever do that? And then later on, Cornelius realizes he also is responsible for this. He also is a sinner. And so he's going, my sin put Jesus on the cross? That's bad. I bear responsibility for the death of Jesus? That's wrong, That's what Peter is saying to us. He's going on and he is highlighting that we aren't good, that we are sinners. But then he continues in verse 39. We put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. So Jesus, peaceful Lord, approved by God, good judge, Jesus was killed We bear responsibility for killing him, but God raised him from the dead. We are part and party to his death, but only God could raise him from the dead, and God must raise him from the dead. Peaceful Jesus isn't good enough if peaceful Jesus is dead, right? Jesus can be a wonderful Lord, but he's not Lord at all if he's dead. I don't care how approved someone is by God. If they're dead, they are dead. So God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead, and now he's risen, he's alive, he's exalted. God himself raised him to the highest of places, the highest of positions, the highest of powers. He's saying Jesus Christ isn't just a higher power. Jesus Christ is the highest power. What is Jesus doing from that position of power? He's a resurrected, exalted Savior. What is he doing from that position of power? Is he just judging us all as bad? You know, just reminding us of what we already know is true? Is he just highlighting our faults and our failures and our fallacies? Peter says, we'll read the verse in just a second. Peter says, actually, Jesus is willing to forgive anyone who believes in him. Look at verse 43. From that position of power and authority and exaltation, this is what's happening, Acts 10, 43. To him, to Jesus, all the prophets. So he's going, hey, Cornelius, everything you've ever read in the Bible, everything you've kind of ever heard tossed around, it's meant to get you to this point. Similarly in your life, everything you ever heard way back in Sunday school, everything you've ever just heard about Jesus, it's all meant to lead you to this truth right here. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The exalted, resurrected Jesus, he now stands alive and powerful, and he is ready to forgive your sins. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He could just take you and rub you in the mire of your sins and remind you just how terrible you are. But instead, if you will believe in him, he will forgive those sins, pay for those sins, and wash those sins away. I mean, Cornelius is hearing this for the first time. And so he's connecting some dots. He's going, okay, Jesus is peaceful. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is approved by God. Jesus is good. Jesus is judged. Jesus was killed, but now Jesus is alive. And so he's going, what do I do? How do I respond to this Jesus? And Cornelius, he may have thought, oh man, 
I got to get good. Jesus is good, so I need to get better. I need to be a better person. Or Cornelius may have thought, I need to go to church more often. You know, God's people, they've really hurt me and they've really excluded me, but I got to get past that and get to church more often. Or Cornelius may have thought, you know, God would never accept me. I've already gone too far. As, As a soldier in an evil empire, I have endorsed violence and suffering for these Jewish people. Or he may have thought, no, 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 what I really need to do right now is I need to treat people better. I need to be nicer to people of different races. I need to change the way that I relate to people. That's what God requires. But Peter's saying in his sermon, none of those things is ultimately what God is looking for. That's not the response to when you hear about Jesus Christ. Peter's saying the response, there's really only one response. Believe in him. Put your trust in him. Say, okay, I'm going to bank my life, my life here, my life forever. I'm going to bank my life on Jesus Christ. That is the response. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Believe in Jesus. Not just a vague concept of God. Not just going to church more or being a better spouse. Not just getting your act together. Don't believe in your badness like Cornelius, but at the same time, don't put your trust in your goodness like Peter was prone to do. Instead, believe, put your faith in, put your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Some of you can do that for the very first time this morning. This morning is your day when later on you answer the question, that's when I first heard about Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to invite you this morning Believe in Jesus. He is a good Lord. He is a peaceful Savior. He is absolutely approved by God. If you want to know God, believe in Jesus. Don't put your trust in anything else. Don't work hard to get your way to God. You don't have to do that. Jesus was good enough and already did that for you. Just believe in Jesus. Respond to him today. He stands ready and eager to forgive your sins. He will forgive the worst that you have done and he will forgive the best that you have done so that you might be with him and know Jesus Christ. Others of you this morning, I want to invite you. You heard about Jesus a long time ago and you remember it, but you have wandered away from your first love. And I want to invite you this morning, believe in Jesus. Think of how far you have fallen into religion and just being that good parent or that perfect spouse. Come back, believe in Jesus and trust him for everything. Some of you have wandered into rebellion, running from him, ignoring him, and I'm inviting you, return to your first love this morning. He's Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Do you remember the first time you heard about Jesus Christ? May your heart respond to him today like it did that day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, at the end of the day, there, there is no other sermon that we have to preach. There is no other song that we can sing. There is no better idea than Jesus Christ and him alone. So we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise of peace that comes with Jesus. Jesus brings a peace that can heal um, people from different backgrounds and races, and Jesus brings a peace that can even bring us to you, God. Jesus, we praise you for your death, 
your sacrifice. We thank you for your resurrection, your appearing to many people and exaltation into heaven so that we can know God. Oh, Father, would you draw us, invite us into your son, Jesus, this morning. As a church, may we say, yes, that's our story. That's who we follow. That's all we've got at the end of the day. City Light Church is all about Jesus Christ. And as individuals, may we also say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I've wandered into doing things right and just trying to be a good person. No, I believe in Jesus and him alone so that I might know God. Father, would you do that among us? Some of you this morning, I want to invite you, what is it that you need to latch hold of? I I threw out a ton of facts about Jesus this morning, but some of you, I just want to say, hey, grab one of those things. Don't try to remember all of them. Just grab one and say, that is mine. I'm holding on to that all week long, going back to Jesus and that truth. Others of you, you need to respond to Jesus today. This is your first time to really go, oh, this is who he is. I see him clearly now. If that's you, I encourage you, respond. Tell him that you want to follow him, you want to be his, that you love him and you trust him. And it would be our honor, we would be glad to pray with you. There's prayer team members in the back. These are sweet, gracious people who just love to pray. Go tell one of them and let them pray for you. Others of you, return to your first love this morning. Believe in Jesus Christ. Father God, would you do it? Send your Holy Spirit on us just like you did on Cornelius and Cornelius' his family and his friends. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. As we lift up Jesus, may you fall down upon us and stir us to lovingly obey, follow, um, believe, and trust Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.